Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Jed Talks. My name is Jed Shepard, and I am your host. On today's episode, I have another brilliant author. I had some great authors over the last few weeks, uh, and this is right up there with them. Um, he's written a million books. <laughs> he's written <laughs> comics. Um, he has podcasts galore. Um, he's almost as prolific as Joel Lansdale. He's up there with, with him, I think. And it's Brian Keane. Brian, welcome to the show. Cheers, my friend. I'm glad to uh, to finally be here. Long time listener, first time appearance. Oh, man. Excellent. And uh, I was a guest on your podcast, which is now finished, which I'm sad about. Uh, you're horrible. You were one of our last guests. We had you, and then uh, you know, a couple of weeks later, we said, well, that's it. We can't top Jed. So. Exactly. <laughs> But I really enjoyed being on your podcast because I hadn't actually listened to it much before I went on it. And then I went back and listened to it. And that's why I'm so sad that it's gone because I've only just discovered it and now it's finished. Yeah. Uh, oh. A lot of people feel that way. I mean, we were on for, for six years. It was called The Horror Show with Brian Keene. Mm -hmm. And when I when I started it, you know, I, I've been lucky and privileged enough to to be in this industry for about 20 years now. And and when we started it, I just wanted to use it as a, a platform to tell stories, you know, basically a drinking story every week. Here's the time I got drunk with, you know, so-and-so. And, -so. and <laughs> um, And what we found early on was we ended up covering a lot of industry news simply because no one else was covering it. Not like news like you know what the new Saul movie is but yeah. really meaty stuff uh sexual harassment uh you know predatory uh you know movie studios publishers and uh I mean we won awards for it and we were very popular for it but after six years that was just it was just weighing on my soul I mean it was just crushing me yeah. and uh, it was impacting my productivity you know I, I got in to be a writer not to to be a podcaster uh so we decided to call it quits so was it just the the general negativity of the industry the um not only in books but also in the film industry and comics was it that you didn't want to bring that negativity into your life essentially well no i mean i've always been willing to take a stand against that negativity i you know i love this genre i've been a fan of this genre since I was six years old, I'm, I'm lucky enough to give back to it. Yeah. Uh, and I, I feel very protective of it. Uh, so I've, I've never been afraid to take a stand against that negativity, but it became so much because for the, for the longest time we were, we seemed to be the only venue doing it. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, about midway through our fifth year, early into our sixth year, I, I sat back and I looked it around and I said, you know what? We're not the only source reporting on stories anymore. And there's people doing it now that are better than we are. Um, you know, this this may be the the opportunity to go out on top and, and you know, refocus on writing again. Yeah. But no, no one's doing it quite like like you were. I, I, I love the way you talk about industry news, about these really kind of deep subjects and then your son runs into the room and says something crazy i, I love that stuff <laughs> like, <it's brilliant. laughs> gives an, an element of surprise um but yeah brian so like you're obviously a very prolific author um and i only recently read ghoul uh which you're one of your most well-known books yeah um and not only did i read it then i bought the audiobook as well uh to to kind of just so the story kind of uh, percolated within my brain um, right. and I love it it's it's if I know there was a film made of it like a few years back there was I, yeah but I feel like it's ripe for a remake in these times I, I think there's a there's a new a newer version you could do of it um a post stranger things um kind of kind of world absolutely um, I I agree 100 percent yeah so just talking about ghoul um it, is any of it kind of autobiographical because it's kind of set it's set in the 80s um and it's kind of about about youth and the adventures you get up to when you're young is that something that you kind of drew upon your own oh time? absolutely uh i mean to some extent everything i write has has a a little autobiographical touch i, I think it's that way for all writers really mm -hmm. uh but ghoul was 
Ghoul was pretty much my childhood. The only the only difference was we didn't have of an actual supernatural monster living in the cemetery next door. But, uh, you know, the, 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 the young cast were all composite characters based on, on kids. I knew, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the, the main protagonist, Timmy, 100% based on me as a kid, uh, the scene that, that shocks everyone. The, there's a slight spoiler for those who haven't read it or seen the film or listened to the audiobook. Uh, the protagonist's father destroys his comic book collection. Um, that happened. And wow. I uh, honestly, I'd spoken with my father about it. You know, it was just one of those things that happened between us when I was a kid and it never been brought up again. He calls me one night about one o'clock in the morning and I'm thinking, oh no, someone's died, you know. And I answer the phone and he's in tears. And now I'm really thinking someone's died. And, uh, I'm like, you know, what, what's wrong? And he, he says, I never apologized for ripping up your funny book collection. I want to do it now. And I'm like, what brought this on? It's like, well, I read your book. I didn't know my, my father was reading my stuff until that mm-hmm. point. He never mentioned it, you know, all the previous novels. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that, that book, very autobiographical. It, it's great. Like I really enjoyed it. And I, I do have a bunch others of, of your book to uh, to enjoy, which I will do as soon as I'm a little bit less busy. Um, but I love the world you created. I love I love the ghoul himself, just how tragic that character is. When you can get an antagonist who's just tragic and, and bizarre and like you just wonder what else he's up to, like underground and right. um it's great. It's like when you think, what does Freddie do the rest of the time? That's the vi- <laughs> that's the vibe I was getting with the ghoul. I was like, what's he up to? Like, while well, this is going on. Um, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> um, but yeah, but that wasn't your first book. You said like you you, you had a, a few books before that. How did, I like to always kind of like try and get the origin story. Um, right. We'll come on to comics in a bit, but what's your origin story, Brian? What made you become uh, a writer and the, and the kind of specifically a horror writer? I mean, I knew at age six that this was what I wanted to do. I, you know, I grew up, uh, I was, a, I was a kid in the the mid to late seventies and, uh, you know, a teenager and throughout the early eighties. Um, my very first influence was American comic books. Mm-hmm. And I, I remember being six years old and I bought this comic book and I read it and then I reread it and got out the dictionary and started looking up the words I didn't understand. And uh, I noticed a little credit box. It said, written by Steve Gerber. And I said, oh, somebody wrote these words. I could do this for a living. Um, And then a few years after that, I discovered, you know, Stephen King, F. Paul Wilson. uh, And that pretty much put me on the path. I, you know, I've told this story on my podcast before, but I can remember being in 11th grade and, uh, I got in-school detention for a month uh, where instead of suspending you, they, they make you come to school and you have to spend your time away from all the rest of the student body. And I, I got this uh, because I was doing donuts in my car in the parking lot and then they caught me with weed. But so I, I had a, a month of in-school detention. And when you finished your homework, you were left to your own devices, but you had to remain in the room. And I spent that month, rewriting Stephen King's The Mist word for word for word because I wanted to see what it felt like to write that mm-hmm. uh and I was like okay yeah I this I want to do this I like this feeling so then I started writing my own stuff and uh you know it was that was always the dream always the goal um but the internet didn't exist so I you know I kind of had to find my way and I was I was lucky to have some really great mentors uh Richard Lehman was an early champion. Uh, Joe Lansdale, who you mentioned, uh, who mentors me to this day. He's always willing to give me a kick in the ass when I need it. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, uh, the aforementioned Paul Wilson and Stephen King have both helped me out. Um, You know, they, what I found is, and, and this is even before our modern times, I'm talking like 20 years ago, what I, what I found was, horror as a as a genre it always seemed to be much more diverse and much more welcoming than a lot of the other genres yeah 
And I've, I've found that to be very true. Uh, and I, I try to pay it forward as well, you know, as I go with, with younger creators. Mm-hmm. And did, did um, because I know you said you kind of, uh, you wrote the miss word for word, but did you kind of decide to do horror as a way of escapism at all? Um, or was it kind of, that was just what you loved? I, it was just what I loved. Right. Um, I mean, if you if you've ever read King Salem's Lot, mm-hmm. uh, you know the the young kid Mark. Um, I identified with that kid so much growing up. I had those monster models, and <laughs> and uh, Don Coscarelli's Phantasm, which was another huge early influence. As 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 much as those comic books, Phantasm, just the the kid in Phantasm. I was that little boy. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I guess part of it was just, okay, well, here's two kids I identify with. And part of it was, I just, I loved the monsters and I loved weird shit, you know? And mm-hmm. I, uh, it wasn't until I was older that I figured out that, that horror is a great way to comment on the world around you as well, you know? Yeah. And um, you've, you've written so many books. Is there a particular book that you've done that you feel is the one that you would put in front of people first if they ask you, where should I start with, with Brian Keane? I mean, everyone, <laughs> I had a pretty sizable audience. And if you ask them that, every one of them will give you a different answer. Right. Uh, you know, The Rising is certainly my most popular novel by, by miles. But my favorite, the one I would say is the great introductory book is The Complex, mm-hmm. uh, because it's, it's a complete standalone. You don't need to be familiar with any of my work to to read it. And uh, I think it's I think it's one of my my I, I without sounding conceited, I think it's a fine showcase for what I can do when all when all cylinders are firing. <laughs> okay, uh, I, I wrote that thing in the space of a couple of months, and it I I, I like that one. Well, that's the one I'll read next. What's the synopsis of it like? Just so I can get the get the gist. Um, it, it's easy. It's, it's, you know, it's Cronenberg's rabbit and the crazies and, and, uh, you know, the purge. Now it's, it's a bunch of folks in an apartment complex and, uh, you know, the horde attacks and it becomes a siege novel, but, mm. uh, it, it, there's without spoiling things, there's a lot of twists that you haven't seen amongst those tropes before and it's it's a novel about how at least here in america we don't really know who our neighbors are anymore you know we live mm-hmm. next door to these people all our lives and we might not even know their first name yeah and the weird thing is we probably know more about someone on the other side of the planet like like me and you talking right now like yeah. i probably know more about you than i do my next door neighbor it's it's, it's and crazy. that's exactly it yeah that's exactly it okay that's my next one because I've, I've heard you say before on um it might have been your own podcast or another podcast where you said uh, the ghoul, even though it was, it's popular, it doesn't represent best re- represent your writing um, as you've grown since then. I agree. Yeah, I yeah. think. I mean, ghoul, don't get me wrong. I'm very proud of ghoul. And I can't tell you the number of people who have written to me or come up to me at signings and told me what a personal read it was for them. And, and I'm, I'm grateful, humbled by that. Yeah. Uh, but it's an early novel. I think I wrote that five years into my career. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've been doing it 22, 23 years at this point. So I, I hope I've gotten a little bit better since then, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and um, what are some other of your, the highlights from your, from your books? What, what other books, because you've, you not only do standalone books, you do um, quite often, you do a series of books. Um, you've got, uh, is it the Maggot Gods? You've got, you've got, those books um, earthworm gods oh, that's yeah one. that's um, the one yeah i you know that I, <laughs> that's uh <laughs> part of that part of that i guess is uh an ode to kings the mist uh and uh lansdale's uh tight little stitches in a dead man's back which was another right. hugely influential story on me but basically that was just my take on uh hp lovecraft's mythos you know he always writes about these these cosmic entities, mm-hmm. but they never actually arrive. It's always <laughs> the build up to their arrival. And, and, you know, 
what would it look like if Cthulhu actually did wake up and come striding out of the ocean? Uh, so, you know, it's a, a post-apocalyptic series about that. Nice. And are they just massive worms, like Dune-style intergalactic worms? Some of them are, uh, nice. but then, but you know, then Cthulhu himself makes an appearance and there, oh, there's man. all kinds of other beasties too. <laughs> Amazing. And then you've got um, like the Lost Level series, which uh, right. seems to be a little less horror, more kind of action-y. Is, is that right? Yeah, it's uh, it's weird fantasy, weird science fantasy, I guess. It's, uh, if, if you've ever have any familiarity with uh, Edgar Rice Burroughs' old Pellucidar novels, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the the primitive world at the the middle of the the planet and, you know, it's dinosaurs still live there. It, it's a oh, little bit stuff. something like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was something that I always wanted to write and I didn't think I could get away with it. Early in my career, I'd, I'd written two horror novels and, you know, both, both had become bestsellers. And uh, I decided to try a crime novel and, you know, just a, a straight non-supernatural crime novel. And it bombed. I mean, it, it, it tanked so bad. And, uh, you know, after that, people said, oh, well, you better stick to horror. And I did for over a decade. And I was complaining to Joe Lansdale, actually, we were, we were both doing a signing in Virginia and, uh, I, he had written a similar, you know, a lost world thing. And I said, man, I, I really like that. I always wanted to write something like that. And he says, you know, well, why don't you? And I said, well, you know, I, people want me to write hard. And he looked at me and he said, you're Brian fucking Keen. You can write whatever. (laughs) (laughs) That definitely sounds like Jerry. I said, you know what? He's right. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, and, and you took that ethos and you, and you, you moved it to comics as well, because um, like for me, like growing up, reading comics that was another window in, into a fantastical world of wonder and entertainment and amazement and it was for a little kid it's the kind of it's what it's what you aspire to be this hero writing wrongs etc but you've you've got to write some of the, the the biggest and coolest characters in in comics like absolutely how did wow. you transition from before we, we mentioned what the comics are how did you transition from books to comics like, i uh i was at uh the book expo uh it's this giant trade convention mm-hmm. for publishing I guess this was around maybe 2005, 2006. And uh, I met this guy from Marvel who it turned out was a, a big fan. He came over the table and he's like, you know, I'm, I'm from Marvel. I'm a big fan of yours. And I said, I'm, I'm Brian. I'm a big fan of Marvel. Uh, you know, I've been reading you since 1976. Um, so they invited me to pitch. and I pitched, oh my gosh, so many different characters, starting with Captain America nice. and you know, they just, I couldn't get anything to land because what they wanted from me was a horror. Right. So finally, I, I thought back to uh, my favorite Marvel series of all time was the series called The Defenders. Mm-hmm. And there was this character that basically was a member of that team and hadn't been used since named Devil Slayer. And I said, all right, well, how about I tackle Slayer? And that was what stuck. Yeah. Um, and yeah, since then, you know, like I said, I've, I've been lucky enough. Doom Patrol, so uh, cool. you know, He-Man, Masters of the Universe, uh, Thor. You know, I got to do a, an audio series based on Thor. Um, I've I've never had the time to devote full time to comics. They're always like, you know, it's a it's a job I take on in between novels. Yeah. Um, Simply because, you know, while comics are, are a blast to write and they can be quite lucrative, but it's it's a very fast-paced thing. You know, you mm-hmm. don't have as much time to do a comic as you do a novel. And, uh, you know, my schedule just usually won't allow it. But, yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm actually working on a, a graphic novel right now. Um, I can't tell you what it is. Okay. I can tell you it involves... Uh, characters created by Stephen King and characters created by Richard Chismar. Um, But, you know, I'm finding that I guess maybe because of the length or because of the reference I have for the setting and and these characters, 
writing it is very much like writing a novel. Like I'm taking my time. I'm agonizing over word choice, uh, going back and scrapping, you know, a dozen pages at a time and rewriting them from scratch. Wow. Um, but usually comics are not like that. Yeah. And like talking about the horror comics that I could see you've, you had a, a ongoing series called, well, Halloween specials. Or you've, well, it's a very DC Halloween you did. Then you did the Halloween special um, and DC House of Horror. Yep. Which is great. And you got to use some of the iconic DC characters uh, within those stories. Oh, yeah. Got to do the the Justice League. Um, You know, DC came to me and they said, uh, we want you to do the the Justice League with zombies. Amazing. And I said, well, Marvel's already got Marvel zombies. People are going to think I ripped it off. (laughs) So I I was kind of on this. And I said, can I use John Constantine, my favorite DC character? And they're like, well, he's not a he's not currently a member of the Justice League. I'm like, well, can I use him for two pages? And they're like, yes. I'm like, okay, then I will write your Justice League versus zombie story. So cool. Um, but yeah, and then I did a a creator-owned series that ran for 25 issues called uh The Last Zombie, Mm -hmm. um, which I'm really proud of. Um now it wasn't Marvel or DC, so not as not as many got on it yeah but it's also an intellectual property that i own outright nice unlike you know the flash or thor or some of these others so that's really cool and like when it comes to working with with uh with these big comic companies is there any kind of uh pressure um because obviously you said you you had pressure with the stephen king uh comics but like is there any pressure to stay true to the the nature of, uh, say, Superman or, or Captain America? Or did you go into it thinking, I'm going to put my stamp on this. This is going to be Brian Keane Superman. You know, I I I didn't get a lot of pushback like okay. that. Um, I think I think it's important for creators to understand because, you know, and I know you'll identify with this. Mm-hmm. Growing up reading these things, we believe in you know. The, the mythical Marvel bullpen and, you yeah. know, the Mad Magazine's usual gang of idiots. And, you know, that's something that exists on paper. W- yeah. What these are is corporations. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're working for a corporation. Uh, so, you know, if you go in expecting that sort of magic, it's not there. But mm-hmm. to, to write these characters and to contribute to their ongoing mythos, that's where the magic lies. Um, You know, I didn't go in all cocky, like, uh, you know, I'm going to explain why all the hundreds of issues of Doom Patrol before me were wrong. Yeah. But (laughs) you you do want to put your own spin and your own ideas on it. Yeah. Um, I've never gotten pushback like that. The, the, the only time I did uh, Jeff Lemire was writing animal man for DC I love that run. So. It was a great run. I was supposed to follow him um, wow. after after the brother bu- blood storyline. Uh, I was supposed to take over. DC ultimately decided to cancel the series instead. But I had plotted out the first eight issues. Uh, we had scripted the first issue. Um, and I'd conferred with Jeff, and I knew where he was going to end it, and I was going to pick it up from there. I was going to have the family in therapy, you know. Makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Basically my take <laughs> on the Sopranos, but yeah. you know, instead of, instead of a mob boss in therapy, it was, you know, the superhero mm-hmm. in therapy. Uh, That's really cool. That's Yeah. And you know, I got a little pushback for some of the things I wanted to do with that. They're, mm-hmm. they're like, this is, this is too much family drama, not enough superheroics. Mm-hmm. So I had to find ways to introduce things for him to fight, but other than that, I've never gotten a lot of pushback. I apologize to listeners if you can hear a cat howling in the background. <laughs> it's cool. That's that's my girlfriend's cat. She's not here, and and he's feeling lonely. So, <laughs> oh. um, yeah. So like like one day I want to break into comics, and well, I, I'm I'm doing something on a, on, a, on a very small comic, but I want to tackle these uh, these big superheroes and, and give my twist. There's a there's a um, a story a DC. It was like a t- two-shot story. It, it was it's uh, Christmas with the superheroes. I don't know if you ever read that, but yeah. um, do you remember there was that one storyline where there was a a character called Rem, 
and I don't think you've seen him since, but he is he's basically the Freddy Krueger of the DC universe. He lives inside superheroes dreams. And the story was all of the superheroes go to sleep on Christmas Eve and inside their dreams, they have to battle this guy called Rem, who is just this mischievous like entity. who's just like, right. I'm going to fuck around with superheroes on Christmas Eve. And I'm going to show, <laughs> I'm going to show them their greatest fears. And if they, if they die in their dreams, then they'll wake Then they won't wake up on Christmas day. That was the storyline. And I thought it was incredible. Um, but nobody talks about it. And I'm just like, Hey, where's Rem? Where's the Rem series? Where's that's where's the... fertile ground right there? And that's yeah. the beauty of so many, the as particularly DC and Marvel, their library of characters at this point is yeah. so big. Mm-hmm. There's you know so much untapped potential there. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. Um I've I've had like we'll speak about it afterwards, but I've had little meetings about this kind of world, but um yeah, I, I want to do something with Rem. If I, I, I find, and this is the advice I always give to people, um, mm-hmm. and it's advice that was given to me. Um, you know, if you're writing for either of these corporations, basically the way to view it is the richest kid in town whose parents bought him all, him or her, all the best action figures has invited you over to play with them. <laughs> so you basically put on a show with all the action figures, and at the end of the day, you have to give up your attachment to them, give them back to the rich child, and put them back in the toy box. Um, if you can, if you can do that, then it's it's a great gig. That's a great analogy. <laughs> yeah, that that that's a great analogy. Um, I will definitely keep that in mind. <laughs> <laughs> Talking of like uh, adaptations, like um, you've had some of your work adapted into um, movies. Uh, the aforementioned Ghoul. Um, what was the process of that adaptation? How how much did you um, were you involved in that at all? Um, they kept me involved, and I mean contractually, they didn't need to, mm-hmm. but they did anyway out of respect, which I really liked. Um, you know, it was for uh, NBC Universal's uh, streaming channel, Chiller, which is now defunct. Mm-hmm. Um, it was sort of a precursor to, Shutter. yeah. Um, and you know there were there were certain things about the novel that NBC Universal absolutely wanted changed, and uh, the producer and the director and the screenwriter, to their credit, they pushed back, and NBC Universal said, "Well, if you don't change them, then we're we're not buying the movie." And, okay, mm-hmm. let's change them. <laughs> um, you know, it was. It was cool. My my fan base are very divided on that adaptation. I was I was pleased with it. I think Greg Wilson, the director, I think he's fantastic. He also adapted uh, Jack Ketchum's Girl Next Door. Yeah, I, lo- I really love that film. Really yeah. underrated. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, you know, I think Greg's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, I know my fans are divided on the movie, but I what I liked about it, probably my favorite thing, was just. You know, I got to do the set visit in Louisiana, which was cool, but it debuted at uh, out at, at Sundance. And, you know, I got to take my girlfriend and six friends to Sundance for a week and we so got good. to hang out and we got a little taste of that world. You know, yeah. um, I mean, writing, unlike filmmaking, you know, filmmaking is a very collaborative process. And, you know, as I saw on set, everybody's so many people involved behind the scenes. Yeah. Writing is just yourself in a, in a room, you know, with a, a computer. So it was it was neat to be able to experience the the broader part of the industry, you know. Yeah, I I I love Sundance. Before I before I went there with my short Dawn Dawn of the Death, I had really little concept of of how it is. I didn't know it was in the mountains. I didn't know it was cold there. So I <laughs> I rocked up with a t shirt and like jeans and just thought, okay, it's America. It's going to be warm. No, like I nearly died of pneumonia, and like there's the true story is like I almost died in the mountains, like because me, me and Rob, who directed host and all that, we got lost in the mountains at like four in the morning with no sign of of where we were going, and uh, that's where we came up with the idea for Salt, our, our short film Salt, because we were delirious, we were going to die, and we eventually found a um, a closed down ski resort, like some like. Uh, 
a cabin in, in the mountains and we right. used to, to kind of get help from there but yeah besides that Sundance was incredible like it <laughs> it's an incredible experience yeah and like so you've had other other of your work uh turned into either kind of shorts and and, and other films um yeah. I've got I'm dreaming of a white doomsday I've got that to watch uh that, that one yeah that one I didn't write but I produced it uh right a okay. young young filmmaker Mike Lombardo who was a big fan of mine and uh you know, it was just showing me some of the shorts he'd made. And I'm like, I'm like, my God, he's so good. That's so you cool. know, if, if I put what little bit of money I have behind him and, and you know, lend a name to it, I, mm-hmm. I think we can get him an audience. And we did. Um, nice. And I had uh, Paul Campion, uh, who did uh, The Devil's Rock. A lot mm-hmm. of folks know him for that. Uh, he did a, a short based on another story of mine. Um, but yeah, film seems to be the one area where you know i'm i'm always the wallflower the dance um i get i get asked about options all the time i mean okay. there's not a month to buy that i i don't get an email from someone's assistant yeah. wanting to know if the rights to this are available or the rights to that are available i say they sure are and <laughs> would you like pdf copies and i send them out and i never hear anything back again and I can name names, but I'm not gonna. <laughs> That's interesting. I, you know, some, yeah. some of the 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 biggest production companies, people I would kill to work with, have reached mm-hmm. out. But then I just I never hear anything again. What's um? And again, you don't have to say. But what's the, the the piece of work that you've done that has the most interest in terms of a movie adaptation or a series adaptation? You know, honestly, it's it's all of them. Okay. Uh, I mean, I've. I've got, let me look at the shelves. I've probably got about 50 novels now. Wow. <laughs> uh, you know, plus the comic books. And every single one of them, there's been interest in at one point or another. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, but I, you know, I guess the most recent one that went nowhere was, uh, you know, uh, a filmmaker from Canada uh, with several notable films. He wanted to option urban Gothic and, it seemed ready to go and everybody was on board. And then I just, I got ghosted. I don't know why. Uh, and uh, there was uh, an anime company that were interested in adapting the rising mm-hmm. uh, as a, a series anime series. And uh, then just decided, yeah, we're going to go in a different direction. So, you know, I don't know. I don't, I don't know what happens. I, you know, that's that's interesting because you you think a filmmaker if they were passionate about the work one they wouldn't ghost you <laughs> and two they would they would do everything they can to kind of get it over the line but again there could be multiple reasons why yeah. it didn't fall through why, why it fell through I mean so, sometimes I understand you know a producer will come and and they'll be interested and you know then either they can't get a studio interested or they can't get the backers or you know, I, I tend to write pretty expensively. You know, I, I write some scenes that you're not going to be able to do on a, a budget of a million or less. Um, yeah. and, and that I understand. But sometimes I'm just like, this is this entire novel is two people in a room. We could film it for 10 grand, make it look like out of for a million. Yeah. So that's <laughs> interesting. Because I always wonder, and I think I asked this of, of Paul Tremblay, does he write, and actually of Joe, um, do they write, with the film and adaptation in mind are there like is that kind of making you make certain choices for instance you could do a massive elaborate plane crash scene but then you kind of change it because you think oh no they're not going to be able to afford that when this gets turned into a movie <laughs> well like i'll just i'll just make a diver of a of a nosebleed or something what, what's uh, <laughs> Is that playing through your mind when you're when you're uh, when you're writing at all? I mean, for me personally, no. Um, but you know, uh, knowing Joe and knowing Paul all these years, as, as I do, mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know that this is true in the case of Paul, but I, I bet Joe does the same thing I do. He he thinks visually when he writes, and I say that because both of us grew up on comic books. Yeah, and I find that a lot of our friends who have that background visual storytelling terms yeah um and I, you know it seems to me that would the work would be more easily adaptable mm-hmm. when you're doing that but uh in in my case for whatever reason i don't i don't know 
Maybe not difficult to work with. I, <laughs> <laughs> I doubt that. For, I doubt it very much. But even even with with uh, like Joe Joe Lansdale's work, it took a little while for people to catch on and think, oh, maybe some of this would be would be good to, to be adapted. I mean, I think Bubba Hotep was the first one uh, piece of work that he's done that's been adapted, and then maybe. Um, yeah, then other things have been optioned and kind of like fell apart. Cold um, in July got made. Cold in July was the um, other one. And yeah. of course the Happen Leonard TV series finally. Yes, you know? exactly. Yeah. But that's over that's over like 30, 40 years, right? Of of, of writing. So it took a long time. Um, yeah. And it's crazy because like he also he also has a great breadth of uh, of work of um uh, very high standards and it's unusual where well, and you know yeah. We uh you know, I, I mentioned earlier that Joe still mentors me to this day. And that's a great example. I I guess it was about two years ago when 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 Greg Nicotero Greg Nicotero relaunched Creep Show. You know, now I know Greg. Mm-hmm. I thought, okay, I'm gonna get an email. Hey, we want something for Creep Show. And it, it didn't show up, and I understand uh, why, but I I was I don't why? Why why did why did I don't I because my stuff doesn't fit that EC comics mold. Right, right, right. Um, and it's a very distinct mold. Mm-hmm. Um but you know, I I did send an email to to Joe Lansdale and David Scow, another big hero of mine, mm-hmm. and I said, you know, I'm really getting frustrated by the lack of anything from Hollywood here. What the hell am I doing wrong? And uh, you know, they they both pointed out, uh, you know, in Joe's case, how long it took to start getting that action. Yeah, and they're like, you know, you just you just got to be patient, man. Hang in there. You're not doing too bad, meanwhile. Yeah. Because <laughs> I wonder if it's to do with people growing up with the work and when they eventually get into the position where they can make those decisions, it is like 15, 20 years down the line where they can go, oh, yeah, I grew up with this book. I love this book. I'm going to make maybe maybe that's it. Maybe you're just at the very start of of uh, your your movie adaptation journey. I, I think there might be a, a lot to that. Uh, I, I've i found over, especially over the last year during the pandemic that I'm starting to get that. Uh, you know, I read this in high school and I loved it and I can't believe nobody ever adapted. Yeah. Um, so it, it may just be the waiting game, you know, a matter of time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, you know, for all for all the filmmakers listening, hey, I'm wide open. <laughs> Try me <laughs> now. Exactly. Because you also, you've, you've done like, You've done short stories. You've done. You have a new a new book. Um, stories uh, for the next pandemic. Exactly, and and that's a short story book, right? That's uh, right. It's all stories I wrote uh, last year during the pandemic. Um, I, you know, my my son's mother, my ex wife, she has an autoimmune disease, uh, and the doctors told her they said if you catch COVID, you're probably going to die. Wow. Um, so we took it very seriously. So her and my youngest son and my girlfriend, the four of us lived together in, in our house all year long. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that way we could quarantine together. And, and it, it sounds like, you know, the plot for a really bad sitcom, but it, it actually worked out great. Uh, <laughs> but with all that, that time together and, you know, I wasn't out on the road doing conventions and signings. I had a lot more time to write. Uh, so at the end of the night, I just sit down every night and write a short story. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know, thematically, you can tell the pandemic's going on. It's, it's right there in every one of those, those stories. So I put them together in a collection and yeah, on sale now in paperback and hardcover. That's great. Cause that's the kind of thing that would work as like an anthology film, um because you have one overriding theme yeah and a bunch a bunch of like upcoming filmmakers could do one each and adapt it and make it into a film that's um, a great idea jess <laughs> <laughs> exactly well like like who knows and like there are places out there like like shudder and alters another great platform for something like that and um also like arrow arrow have a streaming service now as well which is which is great right and yeah, uh, like it, it's crazy that your stuff isn't being adapted more. I'm I'm grateful regardless, man. Like I like I said at, at at the start of the show, I you know I've I'm a fan of the horror genre. I'm a, I'm a fan of film. I'm a fan of books, of comics. 
Uh, and I'm just, I'm happy to give back. It's, it's given me solace and enjoyment throughout most of my life. And I'm happy to, to contribute to that for other people, you know? Yeah. If tomorrow they said, you're not allowed to do this anymore, you have to leave. I'd be like, okay, well, thanks for the opportunity. And I, I would remain a fan of the genre. So, you know, it, that's it, cool. If, it, if, if things don't get adapted until after I'm dead, well, you know, <laughs> I wouldn't be the first one that happened. <laughs> <laughs> well well hopefully that you'll see it long long before that yeah. but like things things are things even though this is we're obviously still in the pandemic uh things are, are, are like doing well for you you're nominated for a bram stoker award for end of the road yes which is which is great and you've already won a couple so like you're a veteran uh, of, of that particular award i have i have two um you know i mean you know let's let's talk about awards or you know i'm not going to sit here and say oh awards don't mean anything bullshit of course they do <laughs> it's nice to have them um yeah. you know and i i have two bram stoker awards and i have wow. a a world horror grandmaster award and, and a bunch of other awards that are over there on the shelf behind me but this one in particular man i'm i'm just so humbled uh because end of the road it's not you asked earlier what what book would I suggest to someone who's never read me? Before. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't suggest End of the Road, but for those who have read me, uh, I think it's the best thing I've ever done. It's nice. probably the one I will remain the proudest of. Um, so the fact that that it has touched so many people, uh, because what it is, it's it's uh, it's part memoir. But really what it is, is just an examination of horror fiction and horror film uh, after Stephen King's Dance Macabre. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I to be able to write that love letter to our genre and to have so many people respond to it, uh, it's very cool. You know? That's really cool. And but I'm, I'm up against some, some great uh, contenders, so I, I don't expect to win. Uh, but it's well, nice to be nominated. I've definitely got my fingers crossed uh, for you for that. Um, do you have any other upcoming projects that you you like to uh, to share with everyone? I'm sure um, well, I mean, End of the Road, yeah. currently still number one on Amazon's bestseller list, uh, Stories for the Next Pandemic, which is currently on sale. Nice. Uh, and uh, let's see, what do I have upcoming? I have uh, a new yes. vampire novel called Ooh. With Teeth. Nice. Be out in April. Uh, I my elevator pitches. It's it's Breaking Bad meets Salem's Lot. <laughs> um, and uh, as I said, I've got that that uh, big graphic novel coming out later this year. I I wish I could say more details on it. I can't. Tell me after uh, the, after we press stop. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll tell you all about it. Uh, <laughs> but, but you know, if you're a, if you're a fan of of Stephen King's or of Richard Chismar's or of mine. Uh, you will you will probably lose your mind when it is finally announced to the public. That's great. And you're also doing something um, with with Joe Lansdale, right? You're you've done something recently. Uh, Chris Golden and I are editing an anthology right now. Uh, you know, of course, one of Joe's seminal novels, The Drive-In, mm-hmm. which spawned two sequels. Uh, you know, Chris and I were joking around one day, and we said you should let us reboot The Drive-In. And mm-hmm. Joe's like, "Fuck it, go ahead if you want. Just pay me." <laughs> And we're like, oh, we're just kidding. We're not worthy, but uh, maybe we'll do an anthology and let a whole bunch of people. So, yeah, yeah we've got uh, Owen King, Stephen Graham Jones, Josh Mallerman, uh, Elizabeth Massey, Nancy Collins, Jonathan Jans, Rachel Deering, a whole bunch more people wow. that we haven't announced yet, uh, each playing in Joe Lansdale's world. Uh, and Joe himself is going to write a new drive-in story to go with it. So, so is this set within the initial drive-in in, in the first book, or is it all the three extended books. world? Right. Okay. Yep. All three books. Uh, we we divvied it up amongst the authors. Of, you get to play in the first book. You get to play in the the jungle beyond in the second book, and you get to play in all that bizarre shit in the third book. Craziness. Like, I mean, the the second book is. It's still relatively based in uh, like physics and reality, to, right. to, but like the third one is insane. Like, <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's 
<laughs> you know, I mean, he dabbles in in surrealism or what they call bizarro fiction. Yeah, um, yeah. Of, of course, uh, you know his 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 steampunk universe novels and things like mm-hmm. that. But yeah, the Drive-In Three is one of the most surreal books. It's it's like you know the literary version of El Topo. I mean, it just doesn't. <laughs> that is a great comparison. <laughs> it's true. Um, whereas the, the the like I like the Drive-In, the first Drive-In book is probably my favorite book <laughs> like my favorite book yeah. of all time it's i i i I've actually you won't be able to see this in the podcast but i've actually got my original copy i bought as a kid um in a, in a charity shop you can just about see it there um, I'm, how, I'm looking i've got my hardcover but it's out of reach but yeah that's a gorgeous copy yeah it, it cost me it says two pound on the cover. It, that's the kind of it's the kind of story that because I'm a, like a, obviously I love movies so much and I love horror, just the mishmash of all of these elements of things I like, just gory horror movies, teenagers like nope. contained stories. Um, oh, it's great and and obviously monsters. Like, um, it's 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 amazing. So I can't wait it's, to see what you guys have done with it. It's hugely influential I, and and yeah. not just in our genre, but I, I, I have so many friends, you know, Joe Hill and Carlton Mellick and Paul Tremblay, who we mentioned, and so yeah. many other people I know, that's like one of the cornerstones of their development as a writer is they found that book and, yeah. you know, <laughs> fell in love with it. Any last other plugs of things that you're up to? That's that's all I'm up to. Um, I, I Other than that, I've been, uh, like you, I've been testing out this new Clubhouse social yeah. media app. Uh, I see you on there. All you're like its most active member. I think. <laughs> I've I've become a de facto like influencer on there. All of a sudden, like you have no, you yeah, genuinely it's have. It's crazy. Like yeah. I because I, I at, at the start I was almost using it like a podcast. I was putting it on and kind of like going to sleep. But now, as soon as my name appears in the room, they drag me up to be a speaker, and I'm just like, oh no. Like, I was in I was in some random room last night because I I couldn't sleep and I I couldn't see straight to write anymore and and I, I was like you know I just I want to listen to something in the background yeah. I want to I want to hear other people's voices so I I don't feel alone right now and uh, <laughs> I I clicked on this this club chat called Infinite Living Room didn't know anybody in okay. the room mm-hmm. and uh, within a couple of minutes there's like four or five people oh. Jed follows you. Uh, <laughs> you must know Jed. <laughs> I, I've never even heard of that room. I've no idea who these people are. But yeah, like my reputation is just kind of like like preceded me. But I think it's I think it's a real good network. And I, and I don't really I'm not really into networking, but this this feels like organic. And um, like for instance, last week uh, I did a, a room. Actually, I want to do one again later on tonight. But it's one called Short Short to Feature. And people just came in and asked uh, questions about how to turn your show into a feature or what was your process, et cetera. And we did that room for five hours. Um, and in that time, we we funded someone short. We, we got someone the money to make their short. He pitched it. There were people in the room who were like, we'll give you the money. We'll help you with crew. We put together this package for this kid. It was an 18 year old kid. We, That's we, incredible. Yeah, we got, and like, and I believe he is, he actually shot it maybe two days ago yesterday was in the process of shooting it because obviously we had to check to see if, if he was legit first but right. um we checked his instagram we saw he he owns an ari alexa like so he he knows he knows what he's doing his cinematography is beautiful and he's an 18 year old kid so we were just like yeah like this you know what you're doing it, it's a horror short as well so he got funded and we're doing another one tonight and let's see if it happens again because there'll be people in the room with a little bit of money uh, ready to spend on 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 shorts. That is fantastic. We're we're doing our first room tonight. Uh, oh, myself nice. and and several other horror writers. We we were talking and we said, you know, this would be a great platform to do readings. Yes. You know, so we're gonna we're gonna do a, a campfire tales. We're each gonna read like a five or ten minute short story. That's so cool. Who who's doing it with you? Uh Strand and Matt Serafini and John Urbansick. Um, nice. I think I think the platform itself. I I think there's a lot of potential there. Uh, yeah. You know, right now it's it's mostly peers. So it, like you said, it's great for networking and it feels yeah. very organic. Mm-hmm. Um, I think when it comes out of beta and, and opens to the public and we get you know actual fans in there. Yeah. 
Um, I think I think there's a lot of potential, you know. Definitely. A lot of potential for abuse as well. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, there's that. There's always gonna be that. <laughs> Honestly, there's there's people in that there's people, and I might have to cut this out of the podcast, but there are people who are um posing as execs at studios and uh, offering to hear people's pitches for a price um yeah and like honestly like i was in a room the other day called industry scams and i was like i need to i need to i need to be in this room just to hear what's happening and just it was just people coming in and just telling their horror stories of in general industry scams but quite a lot of them have been in the last couple of months on on clubhouse people are taking advantage of other people um so you just have to be careful but i think i think if you've been around a bit you, and you you won't fall for that kind of stuff but some people are just their dream is to to be in films and to take advantage of that is it is crazy and it also oh, feels that, like the wild west doesn't it like clubhouse yeah, no, is the wild west me. that infuriates me that, that's <laughs> the kind of shit we used to tackle on my old podcast yeah, it know? was exactly oh. so like you need to you need to be the the clubhouse police and, uh, and like just when me. i thought i was out jed pulled me back <laughs> exactly and i'm doing a horror i'm doing a horror room the number one horror room on on clubhouse clubhouse of horror uh every thursday and i believe right. you're gonna come I'll, into the room. i'll be there this thursday perfect i believe paul tremblay might be in the room as well uh barbara crampton's coming in um a few other horror luminaries are gonna gonna make an appearance. So, awesome! It's gonna be great. Um, but yeah, well, thanks very much for coming on my podcast, Brian. Where can people find you? Should they wish to uh, check stuff out? Yeah, um, basically, uh, BrianKeen.com, K-E-E-N-E. Uh, I'm on Twitter as Brian Keen. Uh, I I'm also on YouTube as Brian Keen. Uh, I do have a a sizable Facebook presence. However, I myself am not on Facebook. If if Brian Keene is talking to you on that page, it's actually one of my moderators. Uh, okay. <laughs> but if, if you ask me something on Twitter, uh, you know, I'll, I'll absolutely respond to you as time allows. So Amazing. Well, great. Well, thanks very much again. And guys, if you're out there and you haven't read a Brian Keene novel, get onto Amazon right now, uh, type in his name. Uh, you've heard his recommendations. Um, watch the ghoul and listen to, the, to, to his uh, podcast the back episode of his podcast because you'll learn a lot about the industry pitfalls um, but most of all you'll hear how uh, how great Brian is and like and his family and extended family is just all these incredible characters yeah no I, I really love it I hope you bring it back one day cheers yeah. man I, we, we may I don't know we'll see what the future holds great so. thanks, for, thanks for coming to my Jet Talks cheers buddy you're not